0: Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. You work too, okay. Well, good evening. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll also be in chapter 3. Our series in 1 Peter called To the Exiles. Tonight's lesson is called Purposeful. And you'll see you'll see this word repeated a lot tonight. So if you're not in 1 Peter 2 already, please turn there and let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll sally forth. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word that we get to study it and that we have the honor of learning more about you and getting to know you better. And understanding just a bit more about how you expect us to live. For we are exiles. We are strangers in the strange land. Earth is not our home. We are journeying to a city whose architect and builder is God. So we just thank you for tonight. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Peter 2. So we have purposeful abstention. If you've ever voted in something, you'll have the, the eyes raise your hand, or say aye, or the nays, and any abstentions, and then you get a few people that's like, why? But they, oh, I abstain, you yeah, so The idea of abstaining, we know another verb, or another noun form of this, abstinence, is a kind of a form of this, like it's, a, it's denial of some kind of a pleasure, of some kind of an action, you're going to abstain from doing it. Verse 11, a purposeful abstention. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, so there we go, he repeats that. He, he said that back in chapter 1. As foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Abstain from sinful desires. They wage war against your soul. So you can follow along on your worksheet here. There's a war on your inside. We get a flavor of this in Ephesians, where Paul's speaking of the armor of God, and he's talking about our battle is not against flesh and blood. Well, then what is it against? The powers and the principalities and the demonic. Okay, so here we've got this idea that the war is inside of us. We get just a flavor of that when Jesus talks about being a disciple. He tells us to to do what to ourselves? deny ourselves. There's some flavor of denial in abstinence. So to abstain from sinful desires, there's a war on your inside. So as as exiles and as, as foreigners and exiles, this first point here is going to talk about your inside. The second point is going to talk about your outside. But we're going to start with the heart. It's like I've been training with biblical counseling, and biblical counseling targets the heart. What's really going on on your inside? What kind of things are you telling yourself? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What are your motivations? There's a war on your inside. Therefore, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So we have a battlefield of desire. I've journeyed with people, counseled people, who don't like Verse 11. Why don't they like verse 11? Because our culture tells us that feelings are just feelings. Desires are just desires. They're neither right nor wrong. Have you heard that before? Okay, you're just feeling something. Your feelings are not wrong. I don't want you to think that I'm denying your feelings or not hearing you. Or, um, this verse doesn't say that. Sinful desires. Joel, are you telling me that the God's word says that my feelings can not only be wrong? Because feelings are all experiential. Like, you know, you, you, we, we, some people don't want to judge truth unless you've walked a mile in their shoes. Other people, you haven't gone through what she's gone through. so how, You don't know what she's feeling. You don't know what she's experiencing. So you can't tell what she, if she, her feelings are right or wrong. They're just feelings. Leave them alone. no. Feelings can be wrong. In fact, they can actually be sinful. I mean, it's like, it's like here Peter is dropping a bomb on a pop psychology statement right there. Abstain from sinful desires because these very desires comma, which wage war against your soul? There's a battlefield of desire. That tells me then my feelings can be sinful, that I'm not allowed to feel any way I want to feel even though our culture is saying that you can feel whatever you want, that's not God's story. That tells me that an orientation, indeed, if it's based upon feelings and experience, can be sinful. But I argue that there's an orientation that is deeper and chronologically before a sexual orientation. And that is the you orientation. Orientation. I said this in a counseling session with a young man, and I was trying to get him to understand this, that I wasn't coming after his, his quote-unquote orientation per se. I was coming after this. I was asking him to go one step before what he professes as his, his core thing. I said, no, you actually have a deeper core thing, and that core thing is a you orientation that Jesus attacks when he says, deny yourself. That me orientation, is that sinful? Yes, by definition. That's the sin of pride. The choosing of my will versus thy will. Can a desire be sinful? According to this verse, yes. In fact, these sinful desires wage war. Dang. Now my, my thoughts, I realize I can have a sinful thought, but do I have a sinful feeling? Yes. Yes. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I mean, not 99% of your heart, not most of your heart, not the heart you want to show him, all. So there's a role on the inside. So to abstain from sinful desires. Notice he's not saying abstain from sinful actions. That would be the obvious one. Don't go sleeping around. Don't go getting drunk and then cheating on. doing. Don't be doing all these horrible, you know, Roman Empire orgies and the like. You know, Paul goes on. Paul and his list talk about this. We expect him to say, abstain from sinful actions. No. He just smacked us across the noggin. Abstain from sinful desires. Dang. That's like Jesus talked there. You've heard it said, don't do this. But I tell you, if you've done this, you've basically done that. He attacks the heart level. Verse 12, a purposeful abstention to purposeful living. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So there's a war on your inside, but there's a testimony on your outside. we have to fight these sinful desires we have to deny these sinful desires we have to confess these sinful desires we have to repent from these sinful desires not just sinful actions sinful desires psalm 51 purify my heart david said well david you just you did some more things did not just your heart there pal you committed adultery then you know tried to cover it up by murdering the dad you know the husband the heart? Yeah, the heart. Because it begins at the desire level. Jesus talks about things coming out of the heart, the overflow of the heart. So we war with our heart. That's our battlefield. But we live a testimony. In fact, we have this idea of live such lives among these people, that though they're talking nonsense about you, they're slandering you, they're accusing you. The things they accuse people in the Roman Empire, you're a Christian, that means you're an, you're an atheist, or you're uh, you say you love your brothers and sisters. What, kind of, what are you doing? I mean, it's like uh, you eat the flesh and, and drink the blood of some guy. Or what's the Are you cannibals? They're saying all these things about the Christians. And then we don't know if, if this is, you know, various you know, martyrdoms going on with the various Caesars and coming along, you know, taking this mark to be able to buy and sell. Being a Christian in that time period wasn't easy. Now to deal with all the slander. But live such good lives, they're looking at that and they're going, Dang. Okay. See, what's the ultimate goal of relationships? That the other person in the relationship would join you in glorifying God. It's really cool when someone who doesn't believe in God glorifies God. I remember I joined a group in college. It was uh, a group, I I was kind of being, I was being fun. I joined a group that was basically a women's feminist group. And I joined it (laughs) it because I just, you know, I wanted to to get to know people, and they were wanting to attack. I used to write articles in the school paper, and they really wanted to attack my article, so I decided I would join their group. And then I I showed up early, and I set up chairs, and I set up tables, and they entered the room going, who set up these tables? And I'm in the background, just kind of like waving, drinking a Mountain Dew, like, ah, oh, that was nice. And uh, live such lives among people. You see, your testimony... I mean, that's like in Romans 12. How do they overcome, or excuse me, Revelation 12. How do they overcome? By the blood of the Lamb, all the heavy lifting that Jesus did, and then by the word of their testimony. This idea that you have a testimony, how you live on the outside amongst all these people. It has the opportunity. You know, Jesus said this as well, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify who? The Father. Same idea. It's like, it's like Peter heard Jesus say that, because he's saying it right here. You have a war against your desires, a battlefield on your inside. But you've got a testimony to live on your outside. And the way you live is not about promoting you. The way you live, your prayer is, God, may you be glorified. May these people you've caused to be in my life, may they glorify you by how I live. That would be a great meaning for your life. Say so you have purposeful abstention. Purposeful living. Not bad exiles. You're living in such a way, and what would be what would they be abstaining from? All the things everyone else is doing. All the drunken parties and sexual paraphernalia, all that kind of stuff. You're abstaining from all of that. You're abstaining from that desire leading to that. You're living differently, that they're inviting you to all these parties and all these things and all these drunken gods and goddesses worship, that kind of stuff. And... You're not. In fact, you're living a life that they're. I mean, I just I just remember living in the frat house, and the guys would change the the, the bad channel when I came into the room, because I came into the room and they were they didn't want me to see that. They were wondering, oh this is Joel he's our Christian you know we can't tap this channel on the TV and I just got, I'm just walking through guys I wasn't telling him to change the channel. I mean. I'm just saying, I look back at that time in my life as a hypocrite. But I wasn't, you know, sitting there enjoying it with them, but I was just walking through, but they was, oh, put the ball game on, you know. And, I mean, it was, that was, they wanted to change because I came in the room. Now, that's no glory to me at all, but I'm seeing a flavor of that here. Live such a life that other people are seeing what you're doing and going, I'm just saying, that he's different, and I kind of like it, and that God he might be worshiping is kind of cool, or maybe, I'm, I don't know what they were saying but there's tension there, but it's a good kind of tension. Purposeful submission, 13 to 15. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake and don't forget that. Every other submission that's going to follow in this text is submitting unto the Lord, whether it's for the slaves, for the wives, or for the husbands. It all flows from this. You're going to hear the word like likewise or in the the same manner. This is the verse. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Uh Uh-oh. Whether to the emperor, really, even bozos like Nero, yep, yeah, as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. God's expecting you to do this for him. That's what the Greek says. You're doing this... I mean, I know we have here, submit yourself for the Lord's sake. It just says in Greek, do it for God. So do it. If God's saying do it for God, there's something about how we are to interact with the governments he has placed us under that God expects us to be a certain <laughs> way. We see this also in like a Romans chapter 13. God's expecting you to do this for him. And the cool thing here is God will use your good in mighty ways. I don't know what that looks like. Silence, foolish talk. Uh, Maybe they are having foolish talk about God and God's going to stop that. Maybe God is going to, I don't know, maybe the Christian life back then was just a foolish life. Self-denial, deny the self. What are you talking about? We're Epicureans. We eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we might die. It's like, we, we're hedonists. We just give ourselves pleasure and then give ourselves more pleasure because pleasure is the meaning of all of our existence. Deny yourself? What kind of person are you? You're a fool. Don't you know you could die at any minute? You might as well have fun? Nowadays, in our medical jargon, we would talk about the dopamine reaction and say, oh, don't you know what's releasing in your brain every time you have this? Every time you go through this? Don't you want to keep doing that? And you're addicted to that reaction and that 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 flash, that, 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 those those places in your neurons that are just being going through unimaginable fun. And then you feel that fun. Don't you want to live for that? You're foolish not to live for that because that's really fun. Sin usually is fun. For a time. For a time. We go through cycles of shame and regret, that kind of stuff. But sin, I'm just saying. Why would you not live for that? You're a fool. So God's going to use this in a mighty way to, in mighty ways to silence a foolish thought. So you have a purposeful abstention, a purposeful living, a purposeful submission. You are different. It's like Peter's telling them you are exiles. This is not your home. Stop living as if it is. Seriously. We have a purposeful freedom, 16 to 17. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as cover up for evil live as God's slaves, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. We have a freedom, but can doesn't mean should. We tracking? I can do something. I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I used to tell myself I'd like to have enough money not to have to eat bologna every day or not to have to eat peanut butter every day. I still eat peanut butter every day. But I get to the point where I'll say this to myself. I may never be a rich man, but I would love to have enough money to wreck a dollar menu drive through if I want to. Just to drive through there and just be able to afford whatever I wanted to get from that McDonald's experience and not just not worry about it one bit. You see, just because I can certainly doesn't mean I should. Oh, goodness, no. The last thing I need is a 12,000-calorie snack. <laughs> Just saying. I don't care what it costs. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You've got this freedom, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Oh, that's not very politically correct, is it? Oh, the heck well. It's what we are. But you got to, don't think of it in terms of whips cracking over backs. Don't think of it in terms of, you know, 19th century America. Think of it in terms of the Roman Empire. The slave was a key member of the family. Masters sometimes took great pains to treat their slaves well because the slave was in charge of a great many things. Some slaves had the the, the position of steward. Think of like Joseph in Potiphar's house. He got the whole run of the house except the wife. And that kind of turned out a little awkward for him. But I'm just saying, slaves doesn't have to mean a bad thing. But you did have a master you submitted to. In other contexts, it could have been a bad thing. I'm just saying, people are slaves and it's not always a good thing, it's many times a bad thing. But here we have here, you're God's slave. Some household, there's some household values for the slave here. What were the household values? Showing proper respect to everyone. It's like you are not leaving any relationship poorly. You are treating everybody the way they should be treated. Okay? Appropriate. Respect. You're showing love for your church family, your family of believers. By this, you, the other people will know you are my disciples if you love. Okay? You're fearing God. You're honoring the emperor, but your ultimate fear goes to God. And what you think about God is how you treat the emperor because you're giving that glory, that fear, that honor to God. So the slave has some household values here. You have freedom, I can live, it's a a free country, I can live however I want. Well, a slave wouldn't say that, but maybe that's the point. You have some freedom, but not to do what you want. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. In fact, God expects this. Okay, so purposeful abstention, purposeful living, purposeful submission, purposeful freedom. Are we done with the purposes? Yeah, we are. Let's now apply this by talking to the three main family groups. The three main adult portions of of the family in the Roman Empire was the husband, the wife, and the slave. I know there are children, but he's not talking to the children. He's talking to adult believers. And who were the adult believers in the Roman world? They were husbands, they were wives, or they were family slaves. So he begins with the slaves. In fact, he's kind of going in reverse order here. Slaves, in reverent fear of God. There it is again, in reverent fear of God. Anytime we're going to talk about submission, the context is always starting with you're submitting to God. Therefore, you understand submission. In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Oh, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. If I give my son or daughter, if you do this one more time, there's going to be a consequence. The famous consequence right now is I take away their tablets so they can't get online and do the things, that, you know, the videos and the, the games they want to play. And it's all wholesome stuff, but they'll do it all day long. If you say that one more, if you don't do what I say one more time, i giving you right now an if-then. If you do it, then I'm taking that. You're warned. And they do it one more time and I take it away. And, oh, I can't believe it. My life is just horrible in my afternoon. That's what it's talking about here. If you did wrong and got punished, uh, you're not some great martyr now. You got what was, okay. But if you're enduring suffering for doing good and you endure it, so he's making a point here. It's a word to Christian slaves. Your attitude and the two levels of masters you have. We all have one master, an earthly master, somebody we, we, we either report to or we, we have some kind of accountability towards. I guess if you're retired, maybe not. But we all have the second master in an ultimate sense. Christian slaves submit to God. And that now directs how you are to submit to everybody else. That everybody expects you to submit to because you're a slave. And you're a Christian slave. So pay attention and learn. If you're enduring suffering, why are you enduring suffering? What is going on? Why are you in this situation? Is it because you did something wrong? Pay attention. Learn from this. Is it because you're being persecuted? That's a possibility. Oh, Christian, pay attention. Pay attention. God's paying attention as well. Is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. God notices that. That's a word to Christian slaves. What, what about a, a, the next part here is a Jesus interlude. I like Jesus interludes. Here we go. 21 to 25. To this you were called. I guess he's still talking to the slaves here, isn't he? Because Christ suffered for you. Oh, you want to talk about suffering? Christ suffered. Remember that cross that became his cross that he didn't earn, but he still bore? Christ suffered For you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Mic drop. Don't ever forget that. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wow. You're in exile. You are not to live by these values. You are to live as Christ lived. In fact, one of the things I learned uh, in this counseling conference I went to, if someone said this, and it was a great challenging moment, when you're dealing with people and the struggles they have and they wonder what's normal, what's not normal, what is abnormal, they said, as Christians, as biblical counselors, we have a normal. Present Jesus as normal. Everything else that's not Jesus is therefore abnormal or not normal. We get this idea in Romans where it says, for all have, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That, that, that verb pictures a bow and arrow, and you're firing at a target, and the arrow kind of falls you know, 10 or 15 feet short of the target, like wham, 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 we missed that target. Hitting the target would be normal. That is abnormal. So Jesus is normal. That's his argument here. Here's what Jesus did when he suffered. Now pay attention to that. Let's read it again. He himself he uh, he uh, no, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. God, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned. It's like Jesus, he is the normal. He is the example. Pay attention to that. If we're wondering, if we're off base in the way we're living, go back to what Jesus did. That is our target. John the Baptist once said, he must increase, I must decrease. He must become greater, I must become less. Our target is to live like Jesus did. In any area of our life. No, we're not God. He didn't sin, we still sin. Okay, there's something, there's things we can't do, but that's behind the idea, be holy as I am holy. That idea of he is the normal that we now compare and contrast to. That's the normal. So Jesus is your example. He's also your perspective. He's an example of how to live when you suffer. Suffer like Jesus suffered. Dang. Make that your target. Also, he's your perspective. He bore your sins. And now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Those very souls that are you're waging war against those very desires, well, he waged the ultimate war, didn't he? Purposeful abstention, purposeful living, purposeful submission, purposeful freedom, a word to the Christian slaves, a Jesus interlude, now a word to Christian wives. Ladies, I'm going to need you to journey with me. There might be parts of this you might, you know, the, 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 uh, you might take umbrage, I don't know. There might be a moment here where you're like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Okay, just journey with me. Guys, we're going to have our verse coming up here. Husbands, all right. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Okay, in the same way, likewise. Okay, what's in the same way? Just like he says two or three times already submit to the Lord, submit to the Lord, to God. Okay. In the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words. Imagine that, ladies. You don't have to speak, and you're winning the argument. That's not nagging. I'm just saying. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and the reverence of, their li- of your lives, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold jewelry, or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah. And Sarah... Before you're thinking, well, she was married to Abraham. I mean, my goodness, you don't get better than Abraham. Yeah, the same Abraham that, that lied and said, hey, tell everybody you're my sister when we go into the strange land and uh, just you, you know, they don't kill me. And he did it probably twice, I think, at least twice. I mean, seriously? That Abraham? That's a great submission moment right there, I guess. Woo! Man. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. A word to Christian wives. The submissive wife is an influencer. The world looks at this and goes, submission? Oh boy, that's patriarchal. Gosh, that's sexist. Boy, I bet. Was that written by a man? I think Peter was a man. Yeah, submit. And Paul wrote that. Paul was a guy too, right? I bet. Keep those ladies in line, right? Right? No. I'm reading power in these verses. This is a Christian wife who has a non-Christian husband. Or if he's a Christian husband, he's way the heck wayward of a husband. So you got a picture... Um, the Roman Empire and someone is giving the gospel and the wife hears the gospel and God brings her to him and she responds and now she's a Christian and she goes back home and has to deal with the husband who's not a Christian. And he's going, oh. And maybe he's a rapscallion. Maybe he has some issues. Maybe she's not being treated very well. Peter's writing this to her. There are plenty of women out there in this situation. Their husbands are jerks. What do they do? We start here. Now, we're not condoning any kind of an abuse. We try to keep them out of danger if they're in danger. We we, want to make sure that everything is okay in terms of that. We're not trying to condone anything. We're not overlooking anything. But at the heart level with those wives, we start here. This portion of God's word. Can you do this? Is this a possibility? If so... The Christian wife is an influencer. You have the the opportunity to win him over. Dare I say win him to Christ? I mean, I know the Holy Spirit's the one doing that, but this is big language here. God using you to influence that wayward man that you've made a covenant to be with? Dang. The submissive wife as an influencer I thought submission is just a bunch of weakness. No, I'm seeing a lot of power here. A lot of power. Like, holy moly, you are an influencer. That is leadership, by the way. Influence is leadership. As a submissive wife, you are a leader. Dang, mic drop. That's the language we've got here. That they may be won over without words. That this husband is looking at this wife going, man, there's something about her. This whole church thing she's got going on, I'm just saying. I've got a wife I don't know what to do with, but I really like this attitude. There's something different. There's something different. And it's, I'm, I really, really am pleased by this new woman before me. And oh my goodness, he may be won over. Now doors are beginning to open. Maybe God's going to boot him through those doors. I don't know. But that's an influencer, that submissive wife. Don't let anyone tell you submission is some kind of weak thing. Go right here and look at that powerful wife who's submitting for the glory of God and through her testimony God is at work. Boom. And it's not what the culture says. It's a very countercultural thing. You know, our, our culture says, "Oh, you got to wear pretty things. My daughter is 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 she just she wears costume jewelry all the time. She loves it." She can't go anywhere without an accessory or a hand I, this is not me I'm, she, i she picked her up at school today she had costume jewelry all, and she had her little knapsack and she and she's got her little pose and, and she just i'm like what is this and like i'm like i didn't dress her she's like no this i put this on like and she has to dress up for her her kindergarten class um yeah that's just being a little kid here but that's our society You have to accessorize yourself so the world will love you and accept you and and approve of you or blah, 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 blah. But here we have what God is approving. God's values are, no, it is your inner self. The unfading beauty, beauty fades, I'm sorry. I'm not as beautiful as I was 20 years ago. Sorry, okay. Maybe you disagree, maybe you don't. I don't know. Beauty fades, wrinkles happen. But there's something about There's something that is beautiful about your inside that never fades. It's a gentle and quiet spirit. Ladies, wives, that right there is how you influence. That. Boom. You're adorning yourself with what God finds valuable. Wow. These are seven verses right here. The submissive wife is an influencer, the attitudes valued by God. But now, husbands, we get, an, we get another verse. And this verse will kick the tar out of you. Husbands, there's a word to Christian husbands now. In the same way be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. What? I read that too fast. You see, the master sees how the husband treats the wife. Capital M, Master. God's paying attention, husbands. How are you treating your wife? Are you considerate with her? Are you lord of the manor and you're going to march around? I mean, seriously? Are you treating them with respect? These women who are being submissive Who are following your lead? Are you treating them as, as if Paul is actually right? In Christ, there is no neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female. We're all equal before God. Are you actually believing that, husbands? I mean, whether you're hearing this in person right here or on this podcast or on the Zoom, that's where we're at. Our wives are precious. but they are equal, equal worth in God's eyes. If we're not, a husband's relationship with God is affected. Well, that was a bold statement, I know. This verse to keep you up at night. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Are you kidding me, Holy Spirit? That's your verse? I mean, seriously? I don't usually talk to the Holy Spirit like that. Seriously? Seriously? So that nothing may hinder your prayers? Oh my gosh. That is terrifying. You mean to tell me how I, treat other, how I treat my wife? God notices, and there could be issues between me and God based upon how I love or don't love her? Yes. So pay attention, men. This is one of our verses. Another one's Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's your everyday verse. This too. You know, my wife, I've noticed in, gosh, I can't remember, 17 years of marriage? 18 years of marriage? I think, think, one of those two. Okay, I've noticed that when my wife, when she comes back at me and she's like, "Ah," she gives me like, I don't like that, I don't like that, what happens within me? When she disagrees with me and wants to push back, and I'm not saying she's right or wrong, I'm just noticing when she when she has her moments that aren't gentle. I, in my life, want to go, "Oh, you know, you did not and I want to get bitter and I want to respond and I want to justify. But I've noticed that when she doesn't do it, when she says to me, "Honey, I, you, you've, you've thought this through. Whatever you want, I, I'm with you. Make a good you'll make a good decision on this." At that point, I feel good, but it's a holy crap moment where I'm like. I better make the right decision. She's gonna follow my leadership on this. I better be going before God. I better be, I mean, I can't mess this up. I have to do right by this family. I gotta do right by this situation. It's motivating me. It's a, it's a great moment there where she most definitely is an influencer, how she submits. Powerful, purposeful abstention, purposeful living, purposeful submission, purposeful freedom. There's a lot about us as exiles that needs to be different. We can't continue the way the world expects us to continue. God expected these first century Christians to live differently. God expects us as 21st century Christians to live differently. There's something about our story that not only gives God glory, but as others see our story, they begin to give God glory. Huge. Huge. You may accumulate wounds throughout this life, and those wounds may turn into scars. But people are going to come into your life that also have wounds, and they're going to look at your scars, and they're going to pay attention. People with wounds will pay attention to people with scars. That's been my story. May it be your story. This has been Big Rev for Masterclass Theology from 1 Peter 2 in the beginning of 3. Thank you for letting me share. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.